About that. Man, I'm coming in hot. Welcome to the Fighting With Myself podcast, the podcast for the average MMA fan, hosted by an above average man. And I am that man. My name is Juice, and welcome to Fighting With Myself. Now, as you can tell, I have some very strong opinions on the main event, particularly the stoppage, but I want to run down the rest of the card first so we can kind of build to that, you know. We built this podcast on rock and roll, you know what I'm saying? We built this podcast. We built this podcast on rock and roll. All right, man, this was an amazing card and I was so I'm so grateful for ESPN Plus in some ways and in some ways not, and I'll get to that in uh, a little bit. What I am grateful for is that the the replays are available on demand. So you have to fucking DVR it and like, you know, pause and stuff, social media. Like you can just watch immediately. And this really benefited me because yesterday I was uh, thankful enough to be watching Chris D'Elia in Atlantic City uh, during the prelims. So luckily I got to watch the main card live. So I just kind of had to go back and watch the prelims. But man, this car was electric. Now, one of the highlights of the night... Uh, as far as prelims go, I want to highlight a couple prelims. Um, Martinez uh, KOing Ping, Wan, Ping Yuan. I think it's like Lu Ping Yuan. Man, it was kind of a technical match. It wasn't boring by any means. And I, I don't want to call it lackluster, but it was a bit of a chess match. And then just as it seemed like we were going to cruise to a decision, I honestly don't know who would have gotten it. Uh, Martinez Bangs the right hand. I think it was a right hand. Drops Ping Yuan. And that was all she wrote. Um, shout out to Zim015 uh, on Twitter. One of the OG listeners of this podcast. Um, telling me to check that fight out as I was uh, <laughs> waiting for for my show to start. He's like, yeah, you're watching uh, Lou Martinez. You got to go check that shit out. Um, so that was awesome. Uh, shout out Zim. And then another uh, fight that I, I really enjoyed was Brianna Van Buren beating Lavinia Souza. Now, Brianna Van Buren coming off that um, the win of the tournament, the Phoenix Rising, I believe, uh, in Invicta, that one-night tournament where she where she beat those those three ladies. I mean, just uh, an amazing performance. I knew they were going to scoop her up. If not then, then eventually. And luckily, she got the call up. This is just perfect timing for her. Kind of a perfect storm, really, because she's from this area. So they love to stack those prelims with uh, a lot of local fighters. And I, th- I think she was a, a replacement, so it just kind of worked out. Lavinia Souza, um, great prospect in her own right. You know, former Invicta champion as well. So this was kind of like um, showdown of Invicta champions. Um, her really only loss before this was to Angela Hill in a, in a close close decision. And um, Brianna really took it to her, man. I mean, 
she was not giving a fuck. She was just in her face the whole time, ripping to the body, you know, throwing like powerful overhands over the top, pushing her against the cage. And to her credit, I mean, they really highlighted this in the commentary. It would seem like she would like push forward. I mean, I guess wrestling is her background, so it's probably kind of instinct. But she would push forward, land heavy shots, and then clinch. And I was like, what are you doing? This girl's a judo and jujitsu black belt. She's going to tie you up and, and, and flip you or something. But um, luckily she disengaged and went back to the striking. Her coach is, you know, really, you know, in the corner in between rounds. Told her to stay away from that clinch. And rightly so, uh, because she was dominating the striking. Close to a finish a couple times. There was a moment, I want to say it was in the second round, where I thought we were going to see a stoppage similar to um, Ronda Rousey and Amanda Nunes or um, Jessica Andrade versus uh, Jessica Penne, like against the fence, kind of like not fighting back. I was like, oh, it's looking, not looking good for Lavinia. But uh, she hung in there. Great, great fight by both ladies. Um, also really loved the Ryan Hall fight. And I was looking forward to this fight. And I thought that Darren Elkins' um, style could give Ryan Hall some problems because uh, Darren Elkins is really good defensive grappling. He's got the wrestling background. And he kind of doesn't give a fuck. But I think he was really nervous about those um, heel hooks because as, as soon as Ryan Hall rolled, he would back up about 15, 20 feet and just disengage completely and wait for the ref to stand him up, which is probably strategic i mean maybe he would have got finished but i also think he maybe lacked a little bit of confidence like he could have landed some heavy ground and pound from there that's kind of his bread and butter and ryan hallman this guy is not very active but it's not his fault he has talked about how he has had trouble getting fights you know people don't always want to accept the fight against him and it's partially because of his style probably also because he's not ranked and the style and i mean you better get him early, guys, you know, in the featherweight division, because he's getting better every fight. He's training with uh, Stephen Thompson out of Upstate Karate, also training with Tan Lee from um, his season of The Ultimate Fighter, was also, um, you know, former LFA champion, um, you know, veteran of the Dana White Contender Series. That guy, Tan Lee, by the way, got a little bit of a uh, raw deal. He had a sick knockout on the Contender Series, and Dana was like, yeah, we're going to watch this guy. I mean... They're just so inconsistent with that show. We'll get to that maybe in a later episode when we have another fucking horrible decision like that Brendan Lochnane bullshit. But um, let's not talk about that. Let's focus on Ryan Hall for a minute. He's really getting better. He landed those wheel kicks. Like, I really started paying attention to the kicking game of Ryan Hall in his fight against, um, what was it, Gray Maynard. He was landing those front leg hook kicks at will just like slapping him in the face with those and gray just like didn't know how to handle it and he would like disengage similar to darren elkins as soon as they got on the ground but darren elkins looked like strategic and he was like respecting the game of ryan hall whereas gray looked annoyed and like oh come on i mean what an idiot by the way just in that fight i'm not saying gray man's an idiot in general but that was just terrible um game plan and ryan hall was not shying away from the striking. And he's starting to learn, he's starting to realize how to put his game together that he really doesn't care if he loses balance on those spin kicks because he'll land on the ground and possibly try and pull you in. And that's where he wants to be anyway. It's sort of similar to like Fabrizio Verdum. Like Fabrizio Verdum, not a very technical striker, but so good on the ground that he doesn't give a fuck about getting taken down. Um, and he'll, he'll just throw wild shots to kind of 
get you to clinch and get you to engage in his game. And that's kind of what Ryan Hall's doing. I think if he starts learning how to implement like elbows and knees, dude, game over. I mean, he's going to be like the featherweight Tony Ferguson. I'll say I'm a little overstating there. I'm not saying he's like, I mean, Tony, Tony Ferguson's a fucking demon, right? But um, just in terms of like, you know, slick jujitsu and um, crazy uh, elbows, I think if he starts doing that, he can kind of mirror that a little bit. You know, far be it for me to give him advice, but um, that seems to where he's been. He's head. He's heading. He's you know working with Upstate Karate and TriStar, um, doing really good things for him. So I hope he gets a, a another um, high ranked opponent next. And let's stay away from these matches. Like people were calling for Ryan Hall versus Crone Gracie, and originally I was as well. Um, you know, you kind of want to see that Jiu Jitsu chess match. However. Luke Thomas made a good point about this back in the day, and Luke Thomas is very close to Ryan Hall. They kind of live in the same area. He trains out of you know Washington D.C. and he's saying that like, no, you don't, because their judges is going to cancel each other out, and they're largely going to just keep it on the feet. And Ryan Hall's going to um, pepper him with kicks from the outside, and it'll be somewhat of a boring fight. And I kind of agree with that. So I, I'd like to see him against a wrestler who's going to try and do that same thing. And Ryan Hall. Almost had a guillotine on uh, Darren Elkins in that first round, boy. And that triangle at the bell. Give me 10 more seconds. He would have finished that triangle. Possibly. So good stuff from him. Uh, Moving on to the main card. Marvin Vittori versus Cesar Fajera. Great fight. Um, Marvin is looking better. Um, He needs to stop. Saying how he took Izzy to a split decision, I don't think anyone cares. I think anyone who knows how to score a fight scored that for Izzy. So back the hell off. Uh, you're just sort of getting there. <laughs> but I think he's doing great things. Maybe him versus Carl Roberson's a good fight. Carl Roberson had a nice win against Wellington Terman. And uh, Wellington, I think, uh, made a good showing of himself. Uh, there was a couple times where he almost had Carl on a submission. And I was thinking, like, damn... You know, because um, he did recently get submitted by Glover, and I was like, "Is this going to be this guy's story? How he's you know dominating these fights against these tough grapplers, and and then gets caught in the submissions late, sort of like Paul Craig's victims?" But uh, I'm glad he got out of it. Really, kind of putting together his game and working on his submission defense. So Carl Robertson is going to do some good things in the uh, middleweight division, I believe. And speaking of things, are going to make wave, uh, people are going to make waves in their division. Josh Emmett versus Mirsad Bektik or Bektich, as they're now saying. Dude, Josh Emmett, whenever they show the uh, the stills of him, like in the tail of the tape, and, and when they're doing the sort of rolling out the, B, the B-roll um, before the fight, he always looks so, like, jacked. I'm like, and he, he fought at 155, and I don't think he had any losses at 155. Uh, yeah, I think his only losses to Jeremy Stevens. I mean, obviously, he's he's getting a um, better path to the title at 145, so the uh, the move has been good for him. And he did miss weight against, I believe, Ricardo Lamas, but that was like a three-week notice um, fight. So, hence the the missing weight, and it was only by three pounds. So, I think he can comfortably make that weight on a full camp. But, dude, he looks big for that division. And Mirsad Bektik, Bekstich, Jesus, um, is no slouch. And I thought, 
I thought they would take it at least into like the second or third round before either of them got a finish. But Josh Emmett wasted no time in landing those those bombs. And dude, this was like a bad night for stoppages. These last three fights had some questionable stoppages, and and I kind of don't disagree with with them for the most part, uh, except for the main event, which we'll get to. But like Josh Emmett and Mirza Bektik. He was landing those hammer fists, and it looks like like Bektik was like covering up, but then moving as well. But I think it really comes down to intelligent defense, and he wasn't doing that. Um, he was, and, and it also seemed like, if I'm honest, and this is a little bit of a tinfoil hat kind of conspiracy theory th- thing, it looked like he was trying to move into a, a position that would cause Josh Emmett to land an illegal strike, and he might get a DQ win. <laughs> I mean, I know they don't like to get wins like that. I'm not. I'm not trying to say he was. You know, trying to take advantage of the rules, as Musasi would say. But um, the ref could have stopped it earlier. And then when he didn't, it looked like Bektik was going to recover. And then he was kind of moving. And I was like, well, okay, sure. But ultimately, stoppages like that, I don't have too much of a problem with because you're saving them from further damage. And that's what it's all about. Like, live to fight another day. He was not going to get out of that position easily. Like, Josh Emmett's top control is very good. And then Uriah Faber, man. Holy smokes. The California man. (laughs) This is another one. We're going to get to this in the forum. (laughs) But uh, guys that have nicknames like like Wonder Boy, you're almost 40. Wonder Man, okay, the California kid, ye forty, the California man, but but past that, I have to say, shout out to the Split Decision Podcast. First of all, if you're not listening to the Split Decision Podcast, I just got one question for you, just quick question. Chew doing, what you doing? Not listening to the Split Decision Podcast. This was like, I was listening to to their breakdown of this card. And the fight geek was like, hey, Phil, didn't you tell me that uh, Uriah Faber was your favorite fighter and got, got you into the sport? And Phil's like, yeah, 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 he was. Yeah, back in the WEC days. Yeah, okay. You going to make me do it? Yeah, I don't like this matchup, fight geek. I've got Ricky. And then fight geek flipped the script and was like, well, you know what? I got Uriah. We've seen Dad Cerrone do things. I think Dad Faber's gonna do things. And I was like, "Oh no, Fight Geek! Oh no! Don't you su- no that you're being naive here. No." But credit to him, man. He was right. And Faber, he just looked. At first, I, I thought he might look a little tentative, but then it seemed like he looked composed. Um, my wife and I were watching this fight together, and she was saying how you can tell. A veteran versus a, a, a like up and comer because he said like the the newcomers. Um, she was saying that they they just look like, like a little puppy, like just too anxious and, and just trying to like go at you right away. And Faber was like waiting uh, for the right moment, and he landed that uh, big overhand that put him down. It was kind of like a hook. It wasn't just an overhand. I mean, Team Alvarez is known for that. You know, they're wrestlers with overhands and guillotines. That's kind of their bread and butter. But um, that that looked much improved. You know, and Uriah's one of those guys who's always shouting out his team and his, his um, you know, I mean, he's really the coach. It's really like his his guys, you know. He's like, oh, learn that from Song Yudong. He said that like twice in the post-fight interview. And man, I, 
just just going back to like how nervous I was for this fight, like I was right there with like with with Phil, the MMA dude. Um, I thought this was a bad matchup for Uriah, and I thought like given the layoff, like uh, it just wasn't good. And the fact that he was cornering Yadong, <laughs> he was cornering his dog. I just can't get over that name. But the weekend prior in Vegas, I was like Uriah, you you got too much on your plate, man. And I was listening to also. Uh, Carmichael Dave on uh, Ariel Hawani's MMA Reporter Show. And Carmichael Dave, if you don't know, um, by the way, I recommend that um, podcast. It, well, in general, but more specifically, this last episode of the MMA Reporters, because um, Carmichael Dave, if you don't know, is like a Sacramento radio personality. And I guess he's known Uriah since he was like in second grade, since Uriah was anyway. I guess I guess he like was dating his niece or something some sort of family connection where and and it's kind of a small community where he he knew it was like you know he knew his wrestling career watched a lot of his matches and um really sort of helped him build that and the way he was talking about uriah's win over like jen's pulver and all these other big wins i got chills a little bit and then he was saying how even he was nervous and he said I'm I'm not going to cover this as a media member. I actually got tickets. I want to watch this. I have a feeling it could be Uriah's last fight. Like he even he was kind of doubting him a little bit. And I was like, oh man, but wow. I'd love to hear what what that gentleman thinks about this because that was electric. I mean, the most pop of the whole night when he hit the speakers and when he got that knockout. Just, I mean, when you hear California love. You really feel the California love, am I right? Just incredible. Turning back the clock. We'll get to his call out. I mean his post for interview in the in the forum. But I'm not I'm not so sure about I'm I'm not I'm not sold on him versus Cejudo. I'm not. But you know, what are you gonna do? They might make that. They really they really might. So we kinda have to come to terms with it a little bit. And here's the thing, dude. Uriah is now technically on a two-fight win streak because he did have the win over Brad Pickett, but it was two and a half years ago. Not only that, I so I think when whenever you have a long layoff, particularly and especially when that in between that layoff you announce your retirement. I mean, he literally announced his retirement before that fight, said it was going to be his final fight, laid, put his gloves in the octagon, said this is like my farewell performance. Boom. Then he has a comeback. That shouldn't count as far as win streak, in my opinion. But Uriah is one of those guys like Frankie where, you know, you want to put him in a title fight on a one-fight win streak? Got no problem. That ain't no problem. That ain't no problem. You know? So, of course they're going to do it. I mean, they got the footage of... I mean, it it really just comes down to the UFC from a business standpoint. They've got the footage of Cejudo calling out Uriah in his last fight. They've got the footage of Uriah basically accepting the call out. Not only that, they've got pictures of them training together from back in the day. I mean, they can really build a story around that. And the UFC loves building stories. They're not really a a sport as far as like merit and things of that nature. They're a TV production company and what they're selling is stories and they've got a story there So they they might actually make that fight personally. I'd rather the Aljo fight. We'll get to that again in the forum Thank you guys so much for these questions ahead of time, but um, He still looked good and uh, I wouldn't mind him. I wouldn't mind him seeing any high-profile fight 
I, I would like to not have the Cejudo fight, you know. But uh, hey, getting it done. And speaking of Jermaine Durandamy, I mean, not speaking of guys, it's early. I'm on crack. <laughs> these fights, <laughs> these fights are making me on crack. Um, but but let's get to the main event. So Jermaine Durandamy is one of those. Uh, veterans that's been around the game. I think she's like something like 37 or no as a kickboxer. You know, even had to at one point fight a man. She wasn't, um, she was having trouble getting fights. Dan Hardy even said once that he got offered a fight against her. I don't know if it was for that specific fight. Like they were trying to find a bigger name. And he was like, no, I'm not going to fight Jimmy. Like, what do you know? <laughs> so <laughs> I just think that's a funny story. But I thought Aspen Lag could get it done. You know, she could really use her wrestling, but Jermaine Duranami has got very underrated takedown defense. Um, she is strong, and she knows how to use her, like, center of balance very well, center of gravity. And uh, obviously you didn't see that. <laughs> it was such a quick fight. And here's the deal. The ref has such a hard job. They have to make the best call that they think possible in like milliseconds. And the problem is they didn't show the the camera didn't show really the angle of what Herb Dean saw on that note, PFL has a ref cam and you know who he, not even just PFL fucking cam soda legends had a ref cam. Come on UFC figure that shit out. These refs have to answer for these calls. And we need that footage. We need those ref cams. Because the angles that you're showing are not cutting it, dude. Because from what I could tell, Aspen was out from that first shot. and then, but, but she didn't quite hit the floor. She got to her knees. And then when she rolled that second shot, kind of woke her up a little bit but her eyes kind of rolled back a little bit and so I think that's what Herb Dean was was um was seeing and I like I just I just want to see that camera angle particularly from the first shot because here's the deal did he save her from extra damage almost certainly you can make a case that Aspen's tough as they come and she's a warrior and she's good yep maybe but probably but Jermaine Durandamy on top of you landing those big bombs. She was probably five to ten seconds away from a finish. Like a proper like KO, maybe TKO, ground and pound finish. And it, and, and it reminds me of a couple stoppages. And really Jermaine was robbed of that definitive like punctuation mark of a, of a stoppage. Because it reminded me of Michael Chiesa versus Kevin Lee. Did Michael Kiesa tap? No. Did he go out? Almost. But he didn't. He was probably two seconds, maybe one or two seconds away from either tapping or going to sleep. And we were, like, Kevin Lee was robbed of that moment. The fans were robbed of that moment. Michael Kiesa was robbed of, of, you know, getting to prove whether or not he could come out of that. And that's kind of what we saw here. Aspen Ladd was robbed of her, you know, moment of glory, you know, you kind of have in combat sports where you can like overcome adversity, come back from a 
of uh, getting dropped like that. And Jermaine was robbed of, of showing that she could actually put a girl out like that, which I believe she can. And it sucks. It also reminded me of uh, Uriah Hall versus Derek Brunson. And I believe that was also Herb Dean. What sucked about that, and this was, it, it wasn't the same in terms of the the finish itself, but but similar in that Derek Brunson hit him with a huge left hand and Uriah Hall collapsed. Herb Dean stopped the fight because he was out, but Uriah Hall popped right back up and protested like almost instantly. And that's kind of what happened here. As soon as Herb Dean waved off the fight, Aspen was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I was recovering, dude. And it sucks. Because again, I don't think it was a terrible stoppage in in terms of saving Aspen from herself, you know, saving from, from further damage. But we don't know that. We needed that definitive stoppage. We need those few extra seconds, and it's hard because you, as a ref, you don't want to gamble. You don't want to say, "Oh, can she recover?" or "Is it? Am I just gonna, you know, be responsible for her getting extra brain damage?" They have such a hard job, and so I don't want to like bury Herb Dean. I don't want to drag him through the mud, but I think he needs to answer for this. We need to hear from him, just like we heard from him on JRE. Again, after hearing from from Herb Dean himself on Joe Rogan's podcast about the Lawler stoppage, the Askren Lawler stoppage, I got no problem with it because he answered with it and he said the exact things he was worried about. And, you know, Herb Dean has not been one of those guys that shies away. Like, even Yamasaki has made statements in the past and, and, and said why he was doing the things he was doing. Obviously he, you know, famously said, I was letting her be a warrior and that got um <laughs> that's what caused him to be fucking blacklisted and rightly so. Uh but I don't think Dean is quite on that level and um I really hope he comes out and makes a statement um at least to to a reporter. I would like it to be in the form of an interview, someone like uh someone like Ariel or um or Luke um who's going to grill them and um, not let them off too easy, you know, cause it wasn't immediate, but Herb Dean also like had another interview with, um, with Ariel after the Michael Bisping versus um, Anderson Silva fight. If you'll remember that fight um, at the end of the third round, it was a bit controversial because Mike lost his mouthpiece and he was kind of signaling to Herb to say, Hey, can I have my fucking mouthpiece back? And then Anderson took advantage of that as a veteran hit him with a flying knee that dropped Michael saved by the bell. I don't think he should have been stopped to fight, but Herb Dean took some flack for that because he basically allowed that need to happen. And then he allowed it to continue. Um, but we heard from, from Herb Dean after that in that interview with Ariel where he said what he was thinking and the reasons why he didn't stop the fight. He said he didn't believe he was out. There was a lot of other factors in that. So I think we need to hear from Herb on this. And so I'm not going to spend too much time on it. Now we're going to get into it in the forum, but I'd like, I'd like to know your guys thoughts. Um, I I guess I'm going to put a, put a bookmark in it from there because like I said, I I'm kind of fifty fifty on this. Where it is a bad stoppage, it, it is a bad call, but I don't think it's the worst call. I don't think 
things would have been that differently if we had let if if we had let him just continue just a, just a few more seconds. But I think we needed that. And obviously hindsight's twenty twenty. You know, Herb, Herb Dean probably feels bad. He probably thinks it could have gone a few seconds, given the, what we've seen, given the way she protested. Um, but he can't hang his head too much. But overall, I want to end this segment on a positive note. We had some amazing fights. Obviously, Uriah getting it done was awesome. And uh, I I, <laughs> I just had so much fun. This this is an incredible night for me. Obviously, I'm like riding a high from having seen uh, my favorite comedian live. He killed it. Um, I'm looking forward to his special coming out. That's kind of a side note. Um, but really, really, really excited to get into um, the forum to hear your guys' thoughts on it. We had some great questions. You guys really brought it. But before that, um, we're going to take a little break and then get into some current events. All right. First up on the docket, I want to talk about John Lineker signing with one championship. And this is awesome for a few reasons and confusing for others. So firstly, great that it happened so quickly. I was I I hate when a fighter gets cut and they take like a year to weigh their options and play people against each other. I feel like you lose the momentum. But this happened so quickly and I'm I'm glad because it feels like they scooped him up. And um, I knew someone was going to. But then the fact that it happened so quickly, it makes me kind of believe the conspiracy a little bit that he kind of orchestrated that whole cut to, you know, further along his release. Like, not not that he got cut on purpose, but maybe once it happened, he kind of thought, oh, maybe I can pull out and then they'll release me because of how many times I've pulled out. I don't know. But rather than focus on the negative of, you know, the conspiracy or whatever, I want to focus on the positive. And the positive is that he's fighting in an organization that allows grounded knees, dude. Yes. Are you kidding me? Lineker with grounded knees? All about it. Man, Mighty Mouse and John Lineker is a matchup that I've wanted to see for a while. And I don't know if we will. And here's why. This this is the, the confusing part as well. Their whole weigh-in thing is kind of fugazi to me. It's it's not like it's it's closed in you know, all the media, but it's also like the fighters have talked about it that it's really kind of hard to pass. And I think it's good for the fighters, but I also think it it makes some of the matchups tough, and it it also makes them kind of um, you know in some ways it can actually um, encourage cutting more weight. Uh, in an unhealthy way because they have to pass hydration tests twice. And so I don't know if they're going to, you know, get down to a point where they have to pass once and then cut more to, to try and pass again. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know the whole science behind any of it, but what I will say is that um, originally John Lineker was in the UFC as a flyweight, um, 125 pounds, missed weight a bunch of times, had to go up to bantamweight. And I think he's even missed weight at bantamweight a couple of times. And what one does essentially is that they add 10 pounds to each weight class so that you, you know, you can be labeled a flyweight and fight other guys who would normally be a flyweight, but they can weigh in at 135 instead. So DJ is still uh, a flyweight, but he's, he's competing high, you know, more hydrated. He's competing more, more natural weight. And I don't know if Lineker can weigh in at 135 hydrated. I hope he can. I hope he can. 
Um, you know, he can make 135, no problem. He's done it time and again, but um, it just can he make it under that rule set is is the problem. But I guess we'll wait and see. You know, and the thing about one is that they seem to want to um, these stars that they pick up and have a lot of momentum behind them. They seem to want to book them on a consistent basis. And honestly, Lineker, uh, the one championship has you know Muay Thai and kickboxing. I could definitely see Lineker wanting to try his his hand at that. Um, absolutely, you know, hands of stone, John Lineker. So there's a lot, a lot of intrigue there, and I'm I'm looking forward to it. Next up, Dylan Dennis <laughs> getting into an altercation at a burlesque club. At least that's what it was called. Um, I didn't dig too much deep into this to see if that's actually correct. I'm going to assume it is because that's just funnier if it is. Because <laughs> just getting into an altercation at a burlesque club is so 1920s. <laughs> I mean, Dylan Dennis is like so unrefined that him him getting into an altercation at a burlesque club is just funny to me. And it looks like he was kind of like ambushed a little bit, but also looked like he was probably talking shit and maybe deserved it. And he stumbled a bit too. Like people are saying he got rocked. I don't know if he got rocked, like dropped. I think he like fell off a table or whatever, but it looks sloppy for one. I think he probably in his mind was remembering, um, the whole scuffle with Habib at, um, UC two twenty nine or whatever that was. Uh, and how he caught a lot of flack um, for like not really f- fighting back, and I think he was just trying to like, I don't know, show some some effort. I, mean, I, I don't know. It was it was weird. Dylan Dennis is one of those guys that's gonna always catch a headline for like doing the most ridiculous things, and I, and I think he's gonna be one of those guys that has more hype than their career is worth. If if I'm if I'm coming across in the way I'm meaning not in a condescending way I don't want to bring him down because he does have skills but he's talking a big game and getting into these like like ooh you know got into a scuffle at a burlesque club like dude at this point just keep your head down and win fights for 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 a change huh. I don't know. That just that just kind of like jumped out at me, and I wanted to kind of uh, talk about it a little bit for you guys because that's interesting. If you haven't seen that video, look it up. You know, Dylan Dennis uh, Burlesque Club. You can probably find it that way. It was, it's obviously like on cell phone footage or, or maybe security cam footage. It's kind of like choppy and and like grainy, but you can clearly see it's him. You can clearly see what happened there, and it was interesting. Another interesting thing, Chad Mendez officially retired. And um, I have a couple thoughts on this. So the timing of it is interesting because, you know, this uh, card, and this could have been a motivator, honestly, like uh, mentally, psychologically. This card, UFC Sacramento, was a big showcase for Alpha Male, uh, Team Alpha Male. I think they went undefeated. There was, you know, we had Benito Lopez, Josh Emmett, Oh uh, no, no, Darren Elkins. Okay, so so Darren Elkins, but Uriah Faber, um, a lot of the guys uh, on the card that for from from Alpha Mel got some big wins. And obviously he announced it before, but I just you know I I think maybe the whole gym energy was like pumped about it, and the fact that um, uh, he couldn't be on the card and and had already I think he kind of mentioned after his last fight that he might hang him up. So I think this is just a the a catalyst kind of motivator for it and 
I I don't uh, I don't begrudge him for it. He's got his his business. I think I believe it's called Fins and Feathers, where he takes people out on like hunting trips or fishing trips or whatever, and kind of plans his camp. He used to plan his camp around it because you need like salmon season and and deer season and all these other stuff that you kind of have to take into account. And uh, I think he'd rather focus on that. And what I what I think is terrible about this is that. USADA robbed us of the good years because I think USADA does a lot of good, you know, but they they also deserve a fair amount of criticism for certain things. Like the thing that he popped for was ridiculous. And if he had done it, if he had done his research and played his cards right, he could have gotten a TUE for this, like almost definitely. But at the time he did it, there was not you know not a lot of guys got tues yet they didn't really know that was a thing and they also gave him two years dude he got two years for a psoriasis lotion and i mean he came out and said like oh yeah look at the ingredients that thing that is on the ban list is in the ingredients not like tainted like i took this willingly but it was for a like I, i i don't buy it i don't i don't buy that he got any sort of benefit from that uh, so it just sucks. Like he was on the cusp of maybe maybe getting a another title fight. He could have got like he had a great fight against Connor on short notice. Obviously went Connor's way. Um, but Chad arguably could have got a ten eight in that first round. You know he kind of had his way with Connor initially and then just gassed. Um. And with the fact that how the division played out after that, obviously he came too quick of a turnaround against Frankie and got KO'd. If you want to call it TKO, that's fine. But he got stopped by Frankie, um, and that and that's sort of that was right before the USADA violation. But had he stuck around, I mean, Connor after that went up to fifty-five, vacated his belt. You you don't you tell me if Chad had stuck around. We wouldn't have seen Max versus Chad for the interim belt when it was you know him and Anthony Pettis at that time. I think I think we could have seen that, you know. So it sucks for him, but given the timing and what happened in his last fight, uh, I think I believe it got stopped by Volkanovski. I think it's just time. I I think it's time for him, and it's one of those we'll never know kind of things. With the whole USADA thing, how how it took those best years from us, but given where we are now, you know, taking everything into account, I think it's the right call, and I wish him well. He had a great career. Now, something else that jumped out at me was the UFC signed an undefeated Russian prospect at flyweight named Askar Askarov, and this is interesting to me because I made this point a few episodes back that um, the UFC only had like 12 guys in, in their rankings. So assumingly that's all of them. And now they've got another. So it kind of felt like with the fact that, you know, most of it, most divisions have at least a top 15 aside from women's featherweight, which is let's be honest, not a real division um, in the UFC anyway, you know, they're not committed to that division, but fl- flyweight, it seemed like they were kind of weeding them out. Because they did cut a lot of guys. And now it seems that maybe Henry Cejudo, credit to him, may have actually saved the division. Even though moving up to Bantamweight didn't really save it, in my opinion. I, th- I, th- I think the fact that 
um, Dana liked his performance and wanted him to be the kind of champ champ that could go back and forth. Even though I hate that word, words, whatever that phrase. Um, it's it seems that they have interest in that division now with Henry as champion, being that he is pretty marketable. And uh, I hope they give him a good fight. I don't. Um, I don't want to play matchmaker here and say like, oh, who could you see him against in the WWE? Like, don't know much about this guy anyway. But it's just news in general that they signed this guy at flyweight. You know, they specifically f- signed him to be a flyweight. And Russians can bang, so uh, I don't hate it. He's undefeated. Let's see what he can do. Another thing that's very interesting to me that. Um, was brought to my attention. Shout out to um, a gentleman by the name of Danny on Twitter. Uh, I don't think he has a last name on there. I think it just says Danny, but his handle is um, underscore L-E-G-A-S-P-I Legaspi. I don't know. Um, but it, Andrew Yang, apparently, um, and if you don't know who Andrew Yang is, um, if you're in uh, you know overseas in the UK, anywhere south of the border, you may not know who, who he is or you, you don't have a reason to, although... To be fair, people in the UK do seem to know more about our politics than we do sometimes. Let's be honest. Um, Americans are very apathetic. But Andrew Yang is um, right now a a Democratic candidate for presidency. And where they are now, he's running for the position. So he's not, you know, he's going up against like Beto and Bernie and all those other guys. But he is an MMA fan. And he's been on Luke Thomas's radio show talking about his ideas and, um, you know, he, he does tweet about the fights every now, once in a while he tweeted, uh, you know, I think it was, uh, last week or whatever, when, when Damian Maya last fought, uh, you saw that one, I guess two weeks ago on the Minneapolis card, I think, um, he said Damian Maya's nickname should be blanket of sorrow, man. That's, that was deep as shit. Not deep, but like, like point. I, I, I thought it was kind of a chilling nickname blanket of sorrow. So Asian to say that blanket of sorrow, by the way. Um, but um, I, I, I thought I would just show that he was like, like who's out there tweeting about Damian Maya. That's not a hardcore fan. You know what I mean? So kudos to, to him for kind of staying active in it. And he has said, now this could just be him trying to grab some publicity here. Either way, I'm not mad at it. I mean, he does seem passionate about uh, his beliefs. Um, he said that he wants to help pass the Ali act for MMA fighters or for MMA in general and lobby for better treatment for the fighters. Um, so when I say that he, this could be just him like trying to grab some, some public, we see a lot of politicians like trying to grab like certain votes and, um, maybe thinks he, you know, um, if he makes a statement like that, that everyone who's an MMA fan or, um, MMA fighters, coaches, they're going to gravitate toward him and maybe they will. I hope, I hope it pays off for him. Um, but he does seem generally interested. If you don't know about the Ali Act, look it up. And um, and I don't want to get too political here. Obviously, I, I talked about his candidacy a, a little bit. He you know he um, he has a philosophy about um, universal basic income, which is interesting. I don't know if it will work, but you know someone has to try something because we're in a fucking shithole of an economy. But um, the Ali Act is something that I've I've thought could be beneficial for MMA. Um, this is something that I believe it's the MMA FA is lobbying for. That's, that's the one that's like John Fitch. And I think Ben Askren is involved. Randy Couture is heavily involved in it. It's the guys that are, um, um, actually lobbying at Congress. Like they actually went, you know, to Washington DC and try to get this, this 
this act passed, this bill passed, um, the Ali Act was created for boxers to protect them from promoters. And I think basically what it what it does is like it it um I could be talking to my asshole here, but I think it makes the belts, the the titles, the championships, um regulated by a body a sanctioned body rather than a promoter so that they have to make certain fights and that you have to be able to go and get multiple belts like uh, john fish was talking about i mean but I mean, john fish is probably one of the most boring interviews in mma probably but you know, one of the most boring fighting styles as well let's be honest but he was saying that um you know fighters in other organizations should be able to challenge for the ufc belt you know if we think of MMA as a sport um, rather than just separate promotions. And that's something that I kind of agree with, although I do like the way it is now because in boxing, you know, sometimes promoters just can't get it right and they can't agree. But when you have a, with MMA, all the fighters are under the contract, uh, you know, on the same roster, they have to kind of make those matchups and they can do whatever they want. If it does pass, you know, we could see some really interesting matchups. We could see Kyoji versus Cejudo. We could see um, Patricio Pitbull versus Max Holloway. We could see Robert Whittaker versus Musasi or, or now Lovato. I mean, there's some amazing matchups that could be made cross-promotion-wise, and this is something that would make that possible. So I just thought it was an interesting headline. Um, Shout-out to that, to that guy for, for pointing it out, and um, shout-out to Andrew Yang for not giving up. Because he does seem to be a bit of a dark horse in that race for, for candidacy. Um, call it what you will. And this is kind of the last little bit of news, although it's kind of a matchup. So just to kind of segue into the matchup segments, <laughs> something that's interesting to me is Alberto Del Rio versus Tito Ortiz and Combate Americas got announced. And why this is happening, I don't know. I mean... Tito is one of those guys that's retired like five times. So I'm not going to get too interested in it, but Alberto Del Rio is awesome. Uh, if you don't know who he is, his nickname is um, Dos Caras Jr. At least that was his wrestling name, I believe. So he may he may fight in um, MMA as El Patron, and I'm not sure. Um, that's what he is on Twitter. Um, but he's right now the president of Combate Americas. Um, and more from like a publicity standpoint like he's just like the face of the promotion he's not out there like controlling matchups so, so far as i know um he probably has a little bit of a say in it um he's probably on the board or whatever but mostly they just pay him to to be the face of it campbell mclaren's really the brains behind that um operation um shout out to campbell mclaren by the way follow me on twitter um i think he's a guy that follows everybody so i'm not like oh he's really listening with but um i like what combate is doing so shout out to those guys and this is an interesting matchup because <laughs> chael pointed this out on arrow on the bad guy his fights in pride you know he did a lot of them in a luchador mask and there's some speculation as to who was under that mask if it's the same guy and i'm not gonna make a statement one way or the other Obviously, those are some serious allegations, and you'd like to think that he actually did compete. And I've I've heard him talk about those fights, and and I've heard him like the the way he talks about them. Um, I think it's an actual from an actual guy that's been in there, um, in in a fight with a guy. But um, 
I, I like the parody. I, I like that idea that maybe he didn't have all those fights. Uh, very interesting. He's got like a nine and five record in MMA. But I kind of want to see this fight, dude. I, I think it's happening at a catch weight, which I kind of agree with, especially at their age. I don't want to see guys in their 40s dehydrate themselves to get to 205. I think it's like 210. You know, I'm glad they're giving them those extra pounds. And I like to see more promotions do this where they, and Belter does this a lot where they'll do, they'll do fun catchweight fights. And obviously from a, um, a division, like from the actual sport aspect, it doesn't do much in terms of building a division, but it does, um, it, it, it does add for like, some good sort of like mixing it up. You know what I mean? And it's going to be a fun fight. At least I hope it will be. It could end up being like uh, Tito versus Chuck. Uh, who knows? But at least uh, I think um, Alberto Del Rio is going to bring the fight to him. So this is, this could be awesome. Now, an- another couple um, interesting matchups. Iwan Kutalaba versus Khalil Roundtree at uh, UFC Copenhagen, September 28th. And this is interesting for me for two reasons. First of all, there's a Bellator card that same day, that same weekend, and um, the whenever the Bellator, whenever Bellator and the UFC go head to head, it's always kind of interesting because there's always a conversation about who has the better card. And right now, it's looking like Bellator, but it's but it's very close. And I love this fight. I love. Both these guys' style. Uh, I think we're in for a banger of a fight. I, at least I hope. Um, I don't always like quick knockouts. I like to see, you know, what happens. Although, Iwan can wrestle. And um, I kind of got this flash in my head of, of Khalil's fight um, against, I believe it's like Michael Omielechuk or, or whatever, this Polish guy that fucking popped for, for steroids right after. Um, he basically just got wrestle fucked that entire fight and just beat up against the cage. It was very hard to watch. And Ewan doesn't have that style too much. But obviously, if you're game planning for a guy, you look at those kind of fights and you look at something you could possibly exploit. It's something he could look to take advantage to of. But Ewan's got like a, I think like a 23 second knockout on his record. Like the guy can bang as well. So fun ass fight. And so that's a UFC Copenhagen September 28th. Also, September 28th, Bellator 228 at the Forum in Inglewood. I thought this was a great segue because after this, we're going to get into the Forum. You know, hear from you guys. But the Forum is um, technically in Inglewood. You know, that's what they say. I got to be honest. I lived in L.A. for nine years. And for the last two years, I lived about six miles from the Forum. It's L.A. Just, I mean... It's it, it's as much a part of LA as like, you know, Culver City or, or you know that area, you know even even Hollywood and, and North Hollywood I would I would say is part of LA. So um, it's it's an awesome fucking arena. I saw Bisping knock Rockhold clean in that arena. Um, there's been some amazing amazing fights there, and even Bellator had a card. They've, they've had a couple cards there. Um, Bellator 170 where Chael fought Tito. That was a great card, and they do big business there. Uh, so if you're in that area, I would look to. I mean, Bellator pricing is really, really good for you. A lot of bang for your buck. I got floor seats for like 150 bucks. You know, at Bellator 170, and uh, 
I'm I'm jealous of you, honestly. If you're if you're in the area, um, if you're able to go watch that fight because it's headlined by Patricio Pitbull versus Juan Archuleta for the featherweight title, and then Gegard Mousasi versus Machida two for the as the co-main. And this is interesting for a couple reasons. So uh, Pitbull just won the lightweight title, and I was wondering if he was going to stick around a lightweight. I don't know much about their division, just to, to, as far as who's next in line. But um, I didn't think, you know, Pip, Patricio was much of a lightweight, um, so much as he is the featherweight champion. Can we just say how many pit bulls does can, can there be in MMA? Like it seems like every division has to have one. Chago Alves, Patricio Pitbull. Um, I think he, I think his brother's nickname Pitbull as well. I think they call him the Pitbull brothers. Fucking Andre Arlovsky, which we're gonna get to, you know, for for next week's fight card. He's the Pitbull. Like, how many fucking? If I was a fighter and someone else had my nickname, I'd be like, fuck that guy. I gotta get a new nickname. I mean, come on. But anyway, a little tangent about Pitbull nicknames. That's a fun fight. Juan Archuleta has looked amazing. Um, it's interesting that he's, I think, been able to fight at bantamweight, and uh, Patricio just fought a lightweight. So um, you you got to think Pitbull might have the size advantage, but I'm not so sure. And sometimes you can see, um, you know, the lighter guy having more success, being quicker, being able to get inside, and I think that could happen here. So I'm not going to give my thoughts too much on it. You know, it's it's. Let's see, three. It's a couple months out. It's basically, basically two and a half months out. But um, it's that's an awesome fight. But what I really want to talk about is Gegard versus Machida. So we talked about this a couple weeks ago after the Lovato fight. Um, I believe Phil had asked, like, what do you see in the rematch? I think they will make that rematch. And I had and I had speculated that maybe Machida would slide in. Uh, Lovato was saying that he wanted to prepare for a different guy because he had prepared for Musashi for like seven, eight months. Um, obviously, um, they were scheduled and um, uh, Musashi got injured. But Machida had earned the number one contender status and then he fought Chael, which is a bit of a risk, but he it paid off for him. He solidified that spot as well. And I thought they would maybe do the Machida fight and have Gegard wait and get the winner. Because obviously, if, if Machida wins, you could sell that fight instantly, get Gegard back into a title fight. But um, and even if um, Lovato had beat Machida, you could still sell the rematch. I think Gegard was very competitive in that, and he's a bigger name. But this just seems like why? And obviously, I've wanted to see this uh, rematch. I talked about it before that that. A fucking amazing post-fight interview that Gegard gave after UFC London when he was like, Machida was greasing, I had his back, and he lifted his ass, and I slid right off. He was cheating, and I want to get a rematch. I wanted to see that rematch there and then. I was like, dude, you gotta remake the fight. And now they're they're fighting as a title eliminator, if, if you can call it that, in a co-main event. No. I, I need to see it for a title. I wish I wish they had just made Machida versus Lovato and then had Gegard fight the winner. But I guess at least I should focus on the positive and just be happy that we're getting this fight at all because it is an awesome fight. Um, I do think Gegard takes the rematch. He's younger. Um, 
he's more well-rounded at this point in his career. I mean, his his striking is just as good as Machida's, albeit different styles, and his jiu-jitsu is probably better than Machida's at this point. So, god damn, I, I, uh, I wish the title fight. But that's neither here nor there. Again, in the theme of focusing on the positive, I want to get into the forum. And and thanks for allowing me to continue to call it that. I, I put out the bat signal right as soon as the fights were ending about, you know, getting some some questions. And normally when I when I do that and you guys um, send your questions and other people reply to them. I am not too big of a fan of that because I have a feeling that the people who reply don't always listen to the podcast. But from now on, I'm just going to say fuck it because what what I saw was just awesome interaction between fight fans. And even if those people aren't going to listen, at least they got a chance to get their thoughts out and kind of have some banter. And that's what I want to do. So after every card, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make a post, you know, have a little forum and we can talk about it here and um, get your voices heard and, and I'll share my thoughts. So without further ado, let's get into that. All right. We're going to start the forum as always with some voice questions. These are my favorite um, part of the podcast. I want to remind everyone that you can send them in any time if you have some thoughts about a matchup that you've heard announced or uh, a piece of news you know, throughout the week. Um, I do tweet it out right after the fights, but it's you know anchor.fm slash fighting with myself slash message. I think it's pretty easy to remember. But also um, you can do what um, someone did last week, which I encourage is um, if you have the ability to record it yourself, you can um, e- email it to fightingwithmyselfpod at gmail.com. Benefit of that is there's no time limit on these anchor uh, messages. It is a one-minute time limit, which is not usually restricting, but it can be. And um, so so that's that. Uh, first up, uh, favorite of the program. Well, he introduces himself. Let's just get right into it. What it look like fighting with myself. It's your boy, Gangers. Repping Asbury. You do me a favor. You tell that fake gangers. You're going to have to get some more bass in his voice. He wants to be me. Or at least pass himself off as me. Now, somebody just mentioned something on the old Twitter machine. What uh, What do you think about Kevin Lee versus Ben Askren? That intrigues me. I like that. Let me know what you think. Awesome. I love it. Uh, of course, he's alluding to last week when um, somebody, I don't know who it was, decided to imitate him since he didn't send a voice message. Again, I don't know who it was. Um, I'll, I'll, if I find him, I'll, I'll tell him what's up. But, um, you know, anyway, um, I guess he'll work on it. We'll see. Dude, Kevin Lee versus Ben Askren is something I'm into for, for one particular reason. Kevin Lee has been banging a drum about the 165-pound division for as long as I can remember. And Ben Askren, when he came in, even before he signed with Robbie, he was saying that they should do 165. He was calling out Khabib at 165. He was saying, like, you know, we can do who's the best grappler in the UFC. Uh, Obviously, I can't make 155, but Khabib has had trouble making weight. I'm sure he would love a 165-pound division. Let's do it. And Khabib was like, no, fuck you. But Kevin Lee, when he last fought RDA... Um, I, I don't know if he said that he wants to permanently stay at 170. Um, I think he's still going to try and convince the UFC to do 165. And when he fought RDA, he had said that he wanted to, you know, have like a gentleman's agreement 
you know, behind behind the scenes that they would both weigh in at 165 so they could make that fight happen. And I think Ben Askren will be down to do that. I don't know. Because obviously he kind of doesn't give a fuck about what the UFC thinks. That's why it took him so long to get here. And uh, they both kind of uh, want to be in a 165-pound division. Ben Askren, that's, Kevin Lee's a winnable fight for Ben Askren. And vice versa. I think it's a very interesting matchup. So uh, I'm glad that you brought that up. I didn't see it on the Twitter machine myself, but um, I fully sign off on that. Absolutely. Um, next up, we got another favorite of the program, Mr. Patrick Shaheen. Let's see what he has to say. Hey, yeah, man, I got a question for you, baby. Look, it's PTD over here taking on the show once more again. I know you're getting all the emails about, hey, man, maybe you should take PTD and put them in the sky, man. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about. All right, now, they call uh, that Uriah Fager, man. Uh, they call that dude, uh, dang old, talking about uh, the California kid. He's not a kid, baby. He ain't no kid. He's a grown-ass man, and he's got testicles where his chin should be. So what you think about your eye favor? I guess my question, PTD, signing off, PTDradio.com. Baby, come on, man. You know, you're right. I have been getting emails. I have been getting emails about PTD taking over the show, but they've all come from the same email. And suspiciously... I think they might be from the man himself. Just speculating. I don't have any proof of that. But they have been from the same person. So, But to answer your question, yeah, I talked about this in the in the recap. He's a California man. Come on, 40 years old, going to the California kid? I mean, I get it. You know, branding and whatnot, you're not going to just change your nickname that you've had your entire career. But... Um, at, at a certain point, I mean, unless you're Diego Sanchez and you just want to have a different nickname for every fight, um, you got to stick with it. And dude, testicles on his chin. Now, we've heard Uriah, be, uh, <laughs> we've heard people say he has a butt chin. He's even said that. He likes to poke fun at himself. There's those, um, I see those gifts all the time with him, either a, like a thong or even Photoshop Steve made one where it looks like he's a camel toe for some... Dude. <laughs> Testicles. PTD, you've rendered me speechless. I have honestly no idea what to say about that. But I like where you're, I like where you're coming from. I'm picking up what you're putting down. I just don't know, I just don't know where to put it myself. I'm picking it up and I'm I'm just gonna drop it. Because that's uh that's all I can do at this point. Um Next up, we got an awesome message. I'll just let him take it away. Hey, what's going on? It's Anthony Hernandez, a.k.a. Season Salt. Uh, what's an unpopular opinion? Maybe it's too soon. But when uh, Durandamine knocked Aspen Lad out, she was on her hands and knees, but she was staring off into the distance. In my opinion, that might have been worthy enough for the stoppage. Some people are saying it's too short. What are your thoughts on it? Get back to me. First of all, great uh, point, great question, great um, submission. What do you think? Whatever you want to call it. Um, second of all, I uh, just started listening to this gentleman's podcast, and you guys should check it out. It's called, I believe, Not a, Not a Paid Sponsor. 
Um, it's available on Anchor and available on multiple platforms, I'm sure, because Anchor does a good job of distributing those. Um, his last episode was was great. He had some great points and um, also some great insight onto his, his personal life, which is something that I admire because I'm not um, willing to be that transparent about my own life on here. And um, I just want to say you're an inspiration, man. Keep fighting the good fight. Um, uh, much love, brother. And as far as your question, I... I don't say I 100% agree, but I do get that point of view, which I pretty much stated in my recap. And it just goes back to what I said. Like, we don't know. Well, we don't know if it was a good stoppage because we didn't get to have it play out a little bit. Like, there is a good case, if we see the right angle, that she was out. I I think so. Um, But who knows? Because, again, we didn't exactly... We didn't exactly get there I don't know I don't know it's just it's just frustrating because I I want to I want to say yeah she was but I also want to say it was an early stoppage because it was but I didn't have a huge problem with it like I much prefer an early stoppage than a late stoppage like I I don't want to stoppage like what happened I think against like I want to say it was like Danny Roberts for someone where he was in an arm bar and didn't really tap. And the referee was like, oh, oh, no. And then the guy was like, what the fuck? I didn't tap. Like weird ones like that where you're like, uh, come on. But this one was like, you know, she was wobbled and she was in a bad spot. Purdue was just super quick on the stoppage. So it sucks, you know. But I get anyone who says that it was a terrible stoppage because it was. It, you know, it, it's one of, it's one of those things where... Like, going back to Jones versus Santos, I think I was a little bit too, you know, from last week, I, I think it was a little bit too egregious to say that um, if you scored it for Santos, you, you were just sort of, like, magnifying the success he had. I think, ultimately, if 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 anyone had it for Santos, I don't have a problem with that because it was such a close fight. And I think just the fact that everyone is on Twitter so mixed and, and, and the, all the media are as well, I think it proves that. And that's kind of what I feel about this is that the fact that we both have, you know, a lot of people have strong opinions one way or the other proves that there is some case to be made either way. I think you got to say it was an early stoppage, but not a terrible stoppage. That's that's kind of where I am on that at the moment. I mean, that could change. You know, I, I love this is why I love get, having my podcast, you know, immediately right after the fights and then listening to you other guys that um, can share your thoughts and kind of saying like, huh, I didn't think of it that way. So again, I love um, Split Decision, MMA Nerd, Scope, MMA Marks, um, not a paid sponsor, um, Juice, I Fox with Juice. I'm leaving out people, I'm sure, so I'm, I'm sorry, but um, those are kind of the ones that I uh, keep tabs on. And uh, I, I like when um, they can they can shed light on something I didn't. So by no means is this, is this the be-all, end-all. And um, there are some more questions about it um, on Twitter, so we're going to get to those in a second. But first, we have... Un bendición from the MMA gods. What's up, Juice? It's calling in from the heavens above. We are a big fan of the show up here in the MMA heavens. 
What a beautiful holy night for some California love. The MMA gods blessed us with a holy trinity of doubts on the main card. Three in a row, Emmett, Faber, and GDR, all with big knockout wins. Didn't think I'd be saying this, but I'm very happy to have Uriah and his butt chin back in the UFC. Been a fan of his since the WEC days. Big win for him, but I'm sure you'll cover all. So my question is about the MMA gods chosen one of the card. Brianna the Bull Van Buren. The five foot nothing Invicta FC Strawway champion who's never been finished got a short notice call to face a tough as nails 13 and 1 Souza whose only loss was a split decision to Angela Hill. With that breakout performance and a great call out for any top 10 fighter to challenge her at the San Francisco card in October, what are some possible matchups for her? Amazing, amazing call in. Thank you so much. The MMA gods, one of my favorite uh, accounts on Twitter. Um, just, just a great account overall. And dude, thank you for for shining some light on, uh, literally, <laughs> for shining some light on Brianna, Brianna Van Buren because I think she can really make waves in, in that division. Now, she's a bit undersized in terms of height, but she's she's kind of cut. Like I would like for a strawweight, she's got kind of like that Andrade build. Like she's she's stocky and my first thought was like oh let's see her against someone like felice you know felice i think right now is ranked number 12 obviously she's on um uh an injury so i don't know if she can be ready for that san francisco card but i just i I just kind of thought like you know this would be a good test um a lot of the matchmakers they like to you know build these young prospects off of some of the veterans and um felice kind of likes to be that um you know not over my dead body kind of kind of girl you know um they they tried to do that with alexa grasso and she just fucking turned that uh on its head so so i think felice could could be the one to maybe give her some problems but then i but then i thought what about courtney casey i mean courtney casey might be the tallest uh, 115 pounder there is certainly looks that way she's big for the weight class and uh i think that would be a good matchup to see if um brianna's height disparity is something to be to be um to, to to be talked about you know what i mean like if she can get past that i think there's no problem with her um in in any any other matchup i th- i don't think she'll be outclassed and in terms of like style matchups um that's a good matchup you know corny likes to kind of make it a dirty fight, like not dirty, but make it a dog fight, kind of gritty. Um, she likes to use her wrestling and, uh, Brianna Van Buren by all, by all accounts has some good wrestling credentials. We didn't get to see it that much. Um, she did almost get a slam or she had a potential to, but as Michael Bisping said, she put her down ever so gently, um, uh, which I think was from the threat of a guillotine, but, um, uh, when they were on the ground, it looked like she got out of it. So I don't know, really that's another thing one of the things where we should have gotten a better angle on but um she obviously trains at aka and was on the um i th- i believe the gilroy wrestling team so so good things from her and 
I believe our next question is about her as well. Hey, what's happening? Just on the rest of MMA Twitter. Uh, just a, a wee recap of the quick weekend there. Uh, RIP to Aspen Lad, even though she wasn't technically out or dazed or phased or anything. Uh, we do have a new favourite fighter, which is Van Buren, who we're going to try and seek a follow-back from on Twitter. So we've got to try and keep an eye on that one. Hey, coming up for this week's fights, uh, Leon Edwards against Dos Anjos. Uh, I think this could be fight of the night. I know it's the main uh, main event, but uh, I think that could be quite a banger between the two of them, and maybe some good scrambles between the two as well. Uh, what's your thought on this one? Just catch you later on, guys. I hope we get some Barry White on this episode as well. Ooh. <laughs> oh man, I love this guy. If you don't follow him, what you doing? Uh, it's the only way is MMA. I think his uh, handle is like tell me sup. It's like S U P. I have to disagree with you. I think she was phased, lad. I think Aspen lad was a little phased. But I hope you do get that follow back from Brianna. <laughs> Best of luck to you, mate. And as far as my thoughts on Leon Edwards and off uh, Rafael dos Anjos, it could be a banger. Leon Edwards seems to be the king of the decision lately. Um, and uh, RDA's got great cardio. He went five rounds with Robbie, went five rounds with Colby, and four with Kevin, but that's because he finished him, you know, was prepared to go five. So uh, I think we do see a five-round war. I think Leon Edwards at this point in his career is fighting to not lose. That's my personal opinion. And I think RDA is one of those guys who fights to win. I think that's why he's gotten those um, those losses in his, his recent fights because he has been putting it all out there and, and, and sort of, I don't know, maybe leaving himself open to be capitalized by some of these wrestlers. Um, Leon Edwards, not going to do that though. I think if anyone has the wrestling advantage, it's um, RDA, or at least the grappling for sure, because um, he is a jiu-jitsu world champion and a black belt. But another Jiu-Jitsu champion and black belt Gunnar Nelson was had some bit of some problems with RDA, but I will say, in that fight, it looked like um, it looked like Gunnar didn't really show up until the third round, and this is this is where I had a problem with Leon's performance is that he looked like he is his ego was telling him to um, to take it into into Gunnar's world and out wrestle him, and he was doing that for a while. He was dominating. He had top control for like most of the round but then something clicked in gunner's head like the last 30 seconds of the fight he rushed him up against the fence slammed him got top control got mount and leon just held on for dear life and i was like come on man you were winning that fight and now you want to hug him just because he got mount there's 30 seconds left you know try and shrimp and and give up your back to, to to get out of there um. Anyway, fuck Leon Edwards. <laughs> I was just trying to dominate the scrambles. He got he got Mount. What am I gonna do? I'm not gonna let him take advantage of Matt. I'm gonna I'm gonna hang on. It's a tough fight. What do you expect? Anyway, seven five one three toughest division in the in the sport. Welterweight. I deserve a title shot. What am I fighting RDA for? That's what Leon Edwards would say about my criticism. And if you think anyone can do a better Leon Edwards impersonation, you're wrong. 
But I, I don't want to give my thoughts on that matchup just yet because we are going to get to that in the next segment. But um, moving on uh, to these Twitter questions. Again, this forum is is turning out. I mean, I'm just sort of new new with it, with that sort of concept, You know, even though it's mostly just rebranding. Um, I, I encourage you all to uh, go check out this thread if you haven't already. Um, it's on my Twitter. It starts, you know, those last two fights were so quick. Can't even fucking think. Uh, drop me some questions in. And you guys had some great things to say. Um, first up, Mixed a Man says, Faber versus Cejudo seems to be the fight to make. It would elevate Cejudo to have a high-profile fight against a known guy should he win. Faber wins, then there's a ton of high-profile high fights they can book for him. Seems win-win for the UFC. Thoughts? And yeah, I kind of agree. Now... Again, I'd rather see uh, Aljo. I think I've said this before. Uh, I said it after uh, the Cejudo fight. Um, Aljamain is the next in line. But Cejudo is out. And I'd rather see Cejudo defend against Benavidez when he returns. So that said, and I just thought of this now, I could definitely see them making an interim belt. Faber versus um, Aljamain. And I don't hate that idea. I don't. Um, I think both those guys would accept that in a heartbeat. And um, I favor Aljo in that fight. Just saying. But um, it was nice to see Favor get that win. And if he's going to make a run, he's on borrowed time here. Father time is undefeated. Although he seems to be kind of turning back the clock a little bit. Um I think I think they do make the interim fight. Um, if they do, you heard it here first. But I'm not one to make those like bold predictions just to be like, oh, I said it first. I mean, that just kind of seems like it makes sense, like timing wise. I could I could definitely see that happening. This next question is from um, Blood on the Canvas podcast, and dude, uh, this guy reached out to me said, listen to my podcast. I'm kind of new. I want to you know get your advice, and so I gave him a listen and. I got to say, um, I liked it. His most recent episode, he went off on a tirade for like five minutes on Dana Y. Like, are you fucking kidding me? He was peeing blood. And then he was like saying something about how the last episode, he disagreed with his friend Tyler. He's like, last episode, me and Tyler disagreed. And if you're listening, fuck you, Tyler. Anyone that says fuck you to their friends is okay by me. Because sometimes you got to give your friends shit. But his question says... After hearing that shit that Aldo has been through in his life on the GRE, Joe Rogan experience, he's now my guy in the Bantamweight division. If Uriah takes out another top contender, say Pedro Munoz, does he take the next title shot from Aldo? And I guess I kind of answered this just now with the whole interim thing. I kind of do think they make that happen. That said, if they don't, um, someone like um, Munoz or um, Asuncao, I think probably would be next for Uriah. And those guys are both coming off a loss. And I don't always think a guy should get a title shot from beating someone who's coming off a loss. I think you really kind of like have to go momentum versus momentum. Like, you know, with Marais, him and Asuncao were really kind of both next in line. And they sort of like, you know, Marais sort of took that from Asuncao. And, you know, uh, Sterling and Munoz were both streaking, both kind of who's next. And they both, and then and, 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 um, Sterling kind of capitalized on, on uh, Munoz's momentum, and now he's next in line, in my opinion. So 
that's what I think will happen. But if if they don't make the interim fight and um, maybe Aljo is willing to wait and, and they do him versus Hudo, um, they're probably going to do Uriah versus versus Pedro. So I don't hate that fight. Um, this next question is from Tony B at T Baragan twenty nine. I probably butchered the fuck out of your name. Sorry. B a r r a g a n. Um, it says when early or late stoppages occur, does the state athletic commission review these and then question the refs as to their decision making, or is that only if their decision is challenged? Also, fighters challenging decisions, should they make their case or accept defeat? And here's the tough thing. And if you go back and, and listen to uh, some earlier episodes, I've made this point before. We have given the keys to the kingdom to the people that run the DMV. And that is a quote I borrowed from Luke Thomas, and I will give him credit. But other than that, I'm going to say it's mine. Um, dude, the government, the fucking commissions really um, hold all the power here. And they're not willing to admit they're wrong because the refs are employed by these commissions. And yes, sometimes when egregious calls like these are made, they get taken from main event spots. But in general, refs are on short supply. Good refs that are seasoned and um, uh, experienced and have have had a past history of making good calls are on short supply so they don't always happen now to his credit bob bennett of the um, nevada commission has said you know has actually gone on post-fight press conferences and not not just in um, mma but in boxing and has said that like yeah that um that judge will answer for that um he said that about adelaide bird i think in the it was after the fury wilder fight uh could be wrong on that um then he said that about um i think saldi amato after the second um, Wonder Boy Woodley fight because he he scored, I think, the first two rounds or at least one of them, a 10-10, which is almost uh, more rare than a 10-7. It's something that almost never see because in his opinion and in some people's opinion, um, a round is never completely even. There's always some aspect where one guy edged a little bit, which I kind of agree, but also there's plenty of rounds I've watched that are so close I'm like, I don't know who won that. And so I think 10-10s are relevant in those cases. So as far as fighters challenging decisions, it's so rare because they rarely get overturned. I think one of the only ones I can remember is um, uh, Tanya Evinger versus uh, Yana Kunitskaya. Um, The arm bar that Yana got, I think Tanya didn't tap and the ref, it was like a bad stoppage. And the Missouri, I believe it was Missouri Commission actually did overturn that, but um, there's been plenty of uh, times when when fighters have challenged it, and 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 the commission basically throws it back at them, and say no. Because when has the government been willing to admit they're wrong? I mean, really, um, Holly challenged the decision um, when she lost against GDR because of those extra extra punches. Um, we're going to get into that in a little bit because of uh, another question about Herb Dean, um, but. They don't. They don't really. Uh, they're. It's wasting time and money for the fighters to to appeal these decisions to go to arbitration because they don't. Uh, they don't always benefit, and it and it it takes more. Like more fighters have to be willing to do it, in my opinion, before the um, commissions are going to be able to admit they're wrong. Um, 
Now, as far as like, do they have to answer? That's really up to the media. I mean, yes, the commission should, but I don't think they always do. I think they're more willing to stand behind their refs because they ultimately they have to employ them in other fights. And like I said, refs are on short supply. So uh, it's really up to us and the media to um, make these guys answer for their calls. Um, this next question is from at SmartDan51, the MMA philosopher. He says, Uriah Faber, Yoel Romero, Hendo, Benavidez. These four have never won UFC gold. Put them in order from best to worst fighter. Good luck. Such a tough question. Um, I don't like the wording of best to worst because um, I don't want to say either one of these guys is the worst. But if you ask me to rank those four, um, I do think, you know, in my opinion, body of work matters. And for me, Hendo has to be at the top of the list. He was, a, I think, a dual weight champion in Pride. He was probably the first one to do it. And then um, had some some great fights in the UFC. Had some great fights in Strikeforce as well. Um, he was one of those guys who was willing to... I think he went from, from Pride right to the UFC and then was willing to test the waters. Had a great deal from Scott Coker, went to Strikeforce, and then came back and then finished out his career in the UFC. Um, I'm not one of those people who thinks he um, he beat Bisping in the, in the rematch. So I do think um, he, I think the right guy got his hand raised that night. So so that sucks for him. But I kind of put him at the top of the list because of his whole body of work and the things he was able to do. But a close close second has to be Ol Romero. Um, if he had made weight, um, who knows what would have happened. You know, he, he would have been the interim champion against Luke. And um, I don't think he beat uh, Robert Whitaker, but I understand people that think he do. Like, that's another one of those things that was so close, so it could easily be a draw. But um, I watched their first fight live, and I'm partial to that because I, I do think Rob won that fight, and that was incredible to see for me because he did that on um, having hurt his knee in the first or second round, which was just insane. Um and then it's hard to it's hard to rank um, Uriah and Benavidez together because Benavidez was an alpha male guy for a long time and Uriah was kind of his mentor. Um, but I, I think I think Uriah is probably probably above him, especially given the fact that he did capture WC gold. Um, he was the WC featherweight champion for a while. Had some close fights with Dominic Cruz. Um, Benavidez had some close fights with Dominic Cruz as well, or I think maybe just one. But um, Benavidez's like foil, if you will, was Mighty Mouse, and Mighty Mouse stopped him in their in their second fight. So I kind of got to go Uriah on that. But it's it's tough, you know. if Benavidez comes back and beats Cejudo, obviously he's gonna vault to the top of that list, and maybe not even be on because this is about people who never won UFC titles. So so there's that. Hope I satisfied that question for you. It, it was a tough question. Um, at Joe Quigley MMA says, Faber looked pretty good, as did GDR. A little bit of early stoppage, but I think odds are Herb saved Lab from a vicious beating when obviously she was already compromised from the weight cut. Pretty awesome night of fights. Now, he brings up a good point, but uh, and I think Herb is probably one of those guys who does take into account the weight cut and things like that. He probably knew, he probably saw her at the weigh-ins. 
they they do look at things like that but i'm of the opinion that that shouldn't matter um at, at least too much um she she made it to the to the fight she cleared her medicals so so take that out of it um and and yeah i've already gone into much detail on this topic so we're not going to waste time on that uh at lfc trance says who you say is the worst fighter to ever grace the octagon and then um ricky from the mma marks had offered up cabbage or cm punk i i don't like this question because i don't like to ever put anyone as the worst um fighter to to grace the octagon but i will i will give one and i'm not going to say cm punk i think that's an easy answer i think People like to say that because it's a recent thing, and he, you know, it's from the WWE, or whatever. I'm gonna go with Art Jimerson. How do you like that? He's the worst fighter to ever grace the UFC octagon. No business being in there. And then um, hectic one. Um, I'll, by the way, I love this guy. Very, very good follow on on MMA Twitter, and I love his um, his um, avatar is uh, fucking Jeff Bridges. Love Jeff Bridges, dude. If you have not seen, everyone loves you know the Big Lebowski, and it's probably one of the best movies ever, but underrated is my favorite movie of all time and that's the amateurs and not a lot of people know about this uh, movie it's our jeff bridges ted danson um uh, william fickner a lot of lot of big names lauren graham and it's about a small town somewhere i want to say like minnesota or, or somewhere probably a fictitious town um but it's a small town that bands together and and makes a full-length amateur porn movie. It is so funny and also very heartwarming. So just want to quick um, plug that if you're a movie fan. But <laughs> he says, as a member of the Long Hair Gang, do you think Ricky's performance was affected by braiding his locks? Should he go back to the long hair, don't care look? And dude, I love this question because I'm one of those guys that is a bit superstitious about this. You know, whenever a guy changes up their look drastically and they lose, I'm like, oh, should have gone with the with the original look. But that's probably just hearsay. It's probably Uriah was was the better guy that night. Um, he caught him with that 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 big right hook. But yeah, it was weird. Like I was, I wanted to see the mullet, dude. I wanted to see the mullet. That's his best uh, his best attribute, in my opinion. He's gotta stick with that mullet. And then. Uh, Another great follow. Speaking of Jeff Bridges, I thought this guy's avatar was Jeff Bridges as well. And I was like, oh, cool. It's him. And I felt like such an asshole. But Jim Asun, um, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, um, says, was the weight cut a factor in Herb's decision to stop the fight? I think it might have been. But I gave my thoughts in a prior question. I don't think it should. I don't think it should matter. Um. Josh, who posts dumb shit, this isn't really a question, but I wanted to um, to highlight it because it, it was an interesting um, post. He said, I was seriously dreading Faber's return, but the moment he entered the arena, I was excited to see him fight again, and what a fight it was. I loved it. I didn't think I needed to see it until I did, but the question is, where do we go now? How many more of those can this guy ha- his age have? And I, So I guess there is a little bit of question in there. I've given my thoughts on it a little bit, and you're absolutely right at his age. They gotta they gotta fast track that title run if it's gonna happen at all. So you either gotta do the interim versus Aljo, and I'm not a big interim fan, but Henry is injured, um, and um, like especially in this case because Henry just won the vacant belt, so it wasn't even he, he didn't like dethrone or long reigning champion in the first place. So an interim um, 
title at this stage does seem weird, but by all reports, he's going to be out for an extended period of time. So they might actually do that. And I think that that could be the way you get him into a title fight. And ultimately, maybe Faber can capture UFC gold, even if it is interim. Who knows? But yeah, I, I think we only have like two or three good Uriah fights. If he pulls a BJ Penn and just doesn't know when to quit, I'm fucking out, man. I'm fucking out on Uriah Faber if he does that. But I don't think he will, I hope. And then Kenneth Robert says, which fight was the worst stoppage of all time in your opinion? Um, maybe this one, the Herb Dean one. Um, but that, that it's obviously recency bias. There's a couple other bad ones um, in memory. Um, I mentioned the Danny Roberts one. I forget the gentleman, I think it was a Brazilian that he was fighting. And that was pretty bad. Um, there was also um, uh, Sam Elway versus Jim Crute wasn't all that great. Um the Marab versus um, Ricky Simone was, was bad in my opinion too, because Marab wasn't full, fully out and he, he should have been saved by the bell. He never tapped and the ref didn't stop it. Like in time, he stopped it after the bell and they called it a TKO. That was just so dumb. Um, so, so maybe that, but, uh, but the recency bias is coming into effect and I'm, I might, I might put this one at the top, obviously um, Jermaine versus um, Aspen. And then Mason Araujo, Araujo, so terrible at that name. Um, he says, Herb fucked up bad tonight. Not a question, just a statement. And damn right, dude. And then this next question, a uh, series of questions, um, is from Ashley, the MMA nerd. And if you guys don't listen to her podcast, you should check it out because she does a good job. And um, as another place for um, five fans to connect because um, she she has a lot of awesome uh, listener questions on her show. Um, you guys do a, a good job with, with that because we do have some of the same listeners. Um, she said, is Dad Faber going to go on an awesome win streak now like Dad Cerrone did? I'll take it question by question. Maybe. Now, leading into this, and, and I mentioned at the top, I mentioned how Fight Geek said that uh, on the Split Decision podcast, and my thoughts were initially like, no. And it, because when... when uh, Cowboy had his son. He was like over the moon. He was like, this is my fucking pride and joy. I'm going to go win a championship for you. He was bringing him to every fight, you know, with the, bringing him into the octagon. He, he, you know, always kissed his son before he entered the cage. He was so proud to be a dad. I mean, it was really beautiful to watch. And Uriah was just like, yeah, I had a kid, so I guess I should uh, take some time off, but then I'll come back. And I didn't personally see his kid in the arena, so I don't know if it matters as much to him um, as it does to, to Cowboy. But it certainly looked like the layoff, if, if nothing else, the layoff rejuvenated him, so maybe. But again, at this age, I really think he only has a few more in him. And then we've talked about it. And she said, are you happy are you, or are you mad about the lad stoppage or happy for her brain being saved more damage? And the answer is yes. Yes, I'm mad about the stoppage. And yes, I'm happy for her brain. So yeah, we've already gone way into it. And then the last question from her says, is Team Alpha May back on the rise? Yes. But I don't think they were ever really on the decline. Um, They've always kind of ran those lighter weights. Um, You know, and I guess they're Team Alpha now. I think they've dropped the mail. They're trying to be, you know, progressive in 2019 and, you know, hashtag me too, you know, all that. <laughs> um, so Team Alpha is on the rise 
if your name is not Darren Elkins. Wah, wah. Sorry, Elkins fans. Um, ba, ba, da, ba. Oh, uh, Joe Quigley, again, says, what's next for Faber and GDR? I think the UFC will put together Pena versus um, GDR to see who fights for the title next, and I don't know what happens with Faber. Here's the deal, dude. I wanted to talk about this because Juliana Pena, in my opinion, if you're going to make a statement, if you're going to come back after a long layoff and 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 you want to uh, challenge the champion with a win, you got to finish someone like Nico Montano. And I, I do think Nico doesn't get the credit she deserves because everyone just remembers her as the, the girl who had to pull out against Valentina and didn't want to accept the fight. It's that Valentina didn't deserve it and she wanted to fight Sajara and all this stuff. But Nico is tough as nails. So... Yes, at the same time, I'm saying she should have finished her if she wanted to make a statement, but I, I, I'm conceding that Nico's tough to finish. But if you're going to talk like that, like I heard her on the post-fight show, she was saying that like I can give Amanda a fight. She's just trying to pick up where she left off because if you guys remember, at UFC 200, she beat Kat Zingano, um, who has a win over Amanda, and Amanda won the belt that night against uh, Misha. And Misha is a, f- a longtime friend and former training partner of Juliana. So she didn't want to fight Misha, but she thought it was the perfect, you know, time. And um, she was kind of like, they were in the, the, the press conference together and she was saying like, uh, I think uh, I'm going to ragdoll her worse than Kat did. Uh, if you think that um, I wouldn't give you a fight, you're wrong. I need to get that fight. And then they ended up doing the Rousey fight and Pena fought Shevchenko and lost. And guess what? Juliana, you lost. You lost. And then you had a baby. And that's beautiful. Good for you. Uh, your baby looks cute as fuck. Like, they were in the post-fight show. The baby was just, like, grabbing her microphone. I thought it was really cute. But don't don't come in after that layoff. Get a decision win. And then say you want to challenge it for the, for the, the title on a one-fight win streak. Sit down. Win some more fights. And then as far as GDR, dude. As far as GDR, she's ranked number one. And her last losses against Nunez. Bisping put the microphone in her face and said, what do you think is next? And he's like, we'll see what the UFC wants next. Like, come on. Can we just talk about that that post-fight? She kept, like, apologizing to the crowd, um, saying, Sacramento, I understand. But look, I hit her on the button. She didn't know where she was at that moment. How good are my Dutch uh, accents, by the way? I'm king. They love me in Deutschland. Well, that's that's a different that that that's not Deutschland. That's fucking Germany. Um, they love me in uh, in uh, Holland, in the Netherlands. Um, is that it? Oh no, we had we had um, a couple more. Um, this gentleman, the handle is at Sosig season S O S I G S Z N. I think that's a soccer reference. No, I'm not going to call it football. It's a soccer reference, probably. Um, if it is. Uh, but this guy's funny as hell. His fucking bio says, um, let me just let me just read it real quick. His bio says, when hitting from behind, you shove a nine volt battery up your ass and zap her with your cock, Thanos back. What? <laughs> I mean, dude, for a while it was like beans. He just kept saying beans, which he told me was also a soccer reference. Um, I have absolutely no idea what that handle means if it's not a soccer reference. And he says, I just came to say hi. So I hope you're listening to the podcast. Um, and But the last question is from a gentleman named Tristan Evans. He said, should Aspen even been allowed to fight? And the answer is, yeah, dude. 
she um yes, he had a terrible weight cut, but she she didn't benefit from the early weigh-ins because they have more time to recover. Um I don't think she looked too bad. Obviously, um Jermaine, uh, Jermaine put her on her ass, but Jermaine can do that to anyone. She's a she's a 37 and 0 kickboxer. You know, she's a multiple-time world champion in Muay Thai. So, um I think that's not giving Jermaine the credit she deserves and, and by, by by saying it was a wake-up thing. And I think as far as, like, should she even been in there, yeah, she was only 8-0 coming in against a, uh, a striker of that caliber with that combat experience. But um, Aspen Ladd, I mean, she walked right through Tanya Evinger and she beat the brakes off Lena Landsberg. And the Sajara fight, let me just tell you, I saw their first fight in Invicta, and that's when I knew Aspen Live was gonna was gonna make waves in the bantamweight division. I thought she was honestly gonna get to like ten and zero before she got to the UFC, or at least ten fights, maybe like eight and two or or nine and one, whatever. But um, I knew for that first fight um, that um, that she was gonna do big things, and um, I think their rematch, as close as it was, was more so a testament of Sajara improving and just giving her a tough ass fight. But um, Aspen. Did deserve to be in there. Bit of a weird note to end on, but I'll just say um, if you haven't, go check out this uh, this thread because there's there's some great opinions here. I love hearing from from you guys as far as um, feedback, and this is an awesome awesome forum. So thank you guys. Keep sending the voice questions. You know, as a listener, it's better. You get to hear people's inflection. You get to hear their excitement. Um, you get to hear that Scottish accent from Chris Miller. The only way is MMA. You get to hear the fucking birds in the background. You get to hear the cars driving by. You get to hear him talking about trying to get a follow from Brianna Van Buren. Uh, lots of good things. And you get to hear fucking Genghis with that deep-ass voice. Um, I'm not even going to try it. Because uh, it wasn't me last time. It wasn't me. I swear to God. Uh, anyways, you guys are the shit. Um, and without further ado, let's preview next week's card all right next weekend july 20th ufc san antonio i'm really looking forward to this card it's got some awesome fights on it um it's really a main card heavy i kind of like that um there wasn't any much of the prelims that intrigued me except for one and if you've been listening to this podcast you can probably tell which one that is and that is Roxanne Modafferi versus Jennifer Maia 2. Man, I will never root against Roxy. And if you think I'm going to change that now just because uh, Maya has a win over her, put on a vest with pockets and take a hike. Roxy can get it done, and I believe she will. I'm not even going to tell you how. I'm not going to pretend to break down the X's and O's. I'm not going to say, oh, she can avoid the clinch. and do." I'm just going to say Roxy's going to win. Tell your friends. Tell your neighbors. Tell Randy Gonzalez. Next weekend, she wins. That's how I feel about that. And another rematch opens up the main card. Um... Heavyweights, Andre Arlovsky and Ben Rothwell. I'm a Ben Rothwell fan, man. And I think he kind of... First of all, he got robbed against Blagoy. Um, what a fucking terrible decision that was, huh? And Ben Rothwell is someone that I was super excited about. Um, 
him and his um, jiu-jitsu coach, uh, Luis Claudio, which I think is also Juliana's jiu-jitsu coach. Might be the baby daddy. I could be wrong about that. But anyways, um, Ben Rothwell and this guy, Luis Claudio, they invented, well, I mean, really Luis invented it, but kind of had Ben sort of marketed the go-go choke. Um, Henry Gracie thinks it should, should be called the go-go teen, kind of a more marketable name. But go-go in Portuguese is Adam's apple. So you have go-go plata, things like that, because it kind of pushes on the Adam's apple. The go-go choke is a sort of like guillotine-esque choke. It's from the front headlock, but he... I, see, I don't know. He, he's obviously not willing to give it away. He's obviously not willing to, to say exactly what it is, but he kind of... I'm going to say probably grabs the Adam's apple, so it's kind of fucking, you know, crazy. He tapped Josh Barnett with it, and Josh Barnett has never been submitted in MMA. Um, just just, just craziness. And he also got Mitrione with it, which Mitrione's not like a, uh, a good like grappler necessarily, but he's good at avoiding those situations. And he actually made Mitrion shoot for a takedown. So he must've had him rocked on the feet, which is just crazy. Um, ben Rothwell is another one of those guys that you saw to rob this of the good years of. He, he was on a hot streak for a minute and now he had to sit out on the show for two years and come back against Blagoy and get a terrible decision. So I'm taking Ben in this fight. Um, I like how Andre has looked. I think he's been on the wrong end of some decision losses as well recently. Um, the uh, uh, the Tuivasa fight comes to mind. Um, I want to say the Albini one as well. Maybe he got that one. I'm not sure. But um, I think Ben can finish him. He's got he's got the power and he's got the um, uh, the the grappling credentials to to get it done. So uh, moving on to to uh, next matchup that I'm excited for. Alex Hernandez versus Francisco Trinaldo. Now, a lot of you guys jumped off that hype train quick when um, Cowboy finished Alex. And I really just think that was one of those things that, like, like Cowboy hasn't lost to a wrestler in a fucking decade or something like that. Like, he really knows, he really has their number. And guys like that that just push forward, they walk right into Cowboy's game. So I think that was more of credit to Cowboy than it was against um alex hernandez like francisco trinaldo is a tough fighter but alex hernandez style i think it really give him problems i think he can he can out grapple him um he out grappled um olivier Aubin mercier and that's someone whose um grappling credentials i have a, a tremendous amount of respect for um alex hernandez um i think this is a good fight for him to get back on the winning streak and it's in his home state he's a he's a texan He's a Texas boy, so good things from him to come. Another Texas boy, James Vick uh, versus Dan Hooker. And man, after Dan Hooker got fucking tenderized by Edson Barbosa, I mean, that was one of the most brutal like fights I've ever seen that a guy didn't get like absolutely like knocked out in. Um, and it wasn't bloody. Like He was just taking it to the body, dude. I mean, Dan Hooker is so it was like too tough for his own good i think his corner should have thrown in the towel personally that was a that was hard to watch and um this is a this is a very intriguing matchup for me because they're both um like lanky and they're both tall for the division and i think it's a good fight for them both to get back on track uh, I think I think James Vick's coming off the Felder loss, if I'm not mistaken. I don't think he's had a fight in between. And Dan Hooker's obviously coming off that Barboza loss. 
Um, I kind of don't like it for that um, for that reason because I like both guys and I want to see him back in, in the winning column, but I like the matchup. I think it's going to be fireworks. I'm not going to give a pick on this one because um, I don't think you guys listen to this podcast for my picks anyway. I think it's more so um, the other shit. So thank you for that. But um, I'm looking um, I'm looking forward to this matchup a lot. And another matchup I'm looking forward to, for the wrong reasons, obviously, is Greg Hardy versus Juan Adams. And I'm one of those guys that, that likes to do the whole boycott Greg Hardy thing because fuck Greg Hardy. But I'm not going to boycott Juan Adams. That's for damn sure. And I think he's the only one that's been clamoring for this fight, and he deserves it. Dude, if you haven't listened to Juan Adams' um, interview that he gave on the Split Decision podcast, go back and watch it, or listen, or however you fucking consume podcasts. Dude, go support this guy. Go support these guys, Phil and the Fight Geek, and go support Juan Adams, because he deserves your support. He's a guy that has a, and I didn't know this until uh, this interview, he has a degree in computer science. Or engineering or something. Fuck. Now I look like an asshole because I just pumped him up. But dude, he's awesome. And he even stuck around with them to do the listener questions. Massive respect, in my opinion, for Juan Adams. And he's a big boy. He cuts him like 300 to get to 265, which is probably similar to what Greg Hardy does. And if you think that Greg Hardy is going to do what he's been doing to Juan Adams... You got another thing coming. And that thing is the Kraken. Juan Adams by second round TKO. You heard it here first. Or maybe second. I don't know if there's another MMA podcast that's been released before this one. So who knows. Um, You like how I just went guns a blazing and then tried to take it back? We'll see. Um, The co-main is something I'm really excited for as well. Alexi Olenek versus Wald Harris. And man, they were supposed to fight, I think, on the Florida card. And uh, Wild Harris took a replacement. He took another Russian, Sergei Spivak. And um, if you'll remember, I picked Sergei because of, of his um, submission credentials. But uh, Walt fucking knocked right through him. I mean, what was it that Stipe said um, leading up to the Verdum fight? He said, it's hard to do jujitsu when you're getting punched in the face. Man. But after the way... Um, Olenek brought it to Overeem in in their fight. I'm leaning towards Walt in this because if you do that against Walt, I mean Walt's not someone who has a chin. I mean, I mean, let me phrase that. Walt's not someone whose chin I'm worried about, and um, I don't think that that um, game plan is going to work on Walt, and he just might knock him the fuck out. But I like Alexi a lot. I would love to see him get another Ezekiel choke because that shit is incredible. But we'll see. Amazing matchup. And now, the main event of the evening. Rafael Dos Anjos versus Leon Edwards. I talked about this a little bit in the forum. Uh, I think um, it's going to go the distance. I think uh, RDA is going to make it a dogfight. I don't think he um, has any worry about getting finished by Leon Edwards. I think Leon Edwards couldn't finish me. That's a lie, obviously. Um, but Rafael Dos Anjos, um, I want to see him back in the winning column. I, th- I think RDA winning is good for the UFC. Um, Leon Edwards' last loss was to Kamaru Usman. They're not going to sell him in a title fight, especially, you know, yes, he's on a win streak, but part of that early win streak was against some some 
people that shouldn't be in, in the top 15, in my opinion. So um, they're going to go with someone like Colby and, or Masvidal. And Phil talked about this, and I kind of touched on it as well. Um, he thinks that if um, Robbie wins, they might give Robbie the title shot. And if not, and if Colby wins, they're going to give it to Masvidal. I think, and the credit to Mark Ramundi uh, saying this on the MMA reporters, I think he's right. He said it best. Whoever wins that fight, they're going to present the offer to him and Masvidal, and whosoever management gives them, the, they're going to sh- basically shop around. Whoever takes the lower pay, basically, is who's going to get the title fight. Um, I just wanted to put that out there in case you guys didn't see that because that kind of brought something to my mind where I was like, oh, shit, they're right. It's a business, and they're absolutely going to take whoever's willing to take a pay cut. But um, aside from that, I think um, RDA is going to take this one, at least I hope, because that will put him back in in a title contention. And then, um, ooh, how about this? Just thought of this. RDA wins. You do RDA versus Ben Askren. There you go. Solved it. Eh, whatever. Dude, if Leon Edwards wins, or even if he loses, I think he should fight Darren Till. That's what I think. I know I know. last episode I saw, I, I said uh, Ben Askren versus Darren Till, and I still like that fight. But but in the I just remembered in the press conference for uh, Till Masvidal when Leon Edwards was the co-main, and he was just bitching, like, I should have been in this main event. We should have been headlining. You took the easy fight. You know what's the real fight. It's me. Uh, we should have been here. Um, headline in Birmingham. Fuck Liverpool. Uh, I'm the real fight. And based on that exchange, and Masvidal saying, does anyone have the Wi-Fi password? I absolutely want to see Leon Edwards versus Darren Till. And Darren Till's going to shut those fucking lights out. Maybe. Who knows? Why is this, this episode is turning into like a Leon Edwards trash session? And I'm not too sorry about it. Just kidding, I am. But dude, RDA is the man. And I want to end on that note. So let's uh, let's put all the positive vibes in the universe that RDA gets this win and stops that winning streak of Leon Edwards so I don't have to hear him bitch about not getting a title shot. And on that note, I just want to remind everyone to give your boy a follow on social media. When I say your boy, I'm not referring to Eric Anders because that's the worst uh, nickname in MMA. I'm talking about me. I'm talking about Fighting With Myself podcast at FWM underscore pod on Twitter and Instagram. Send me a goddamn email, uh, fightingwithmyselfpod at gmail.com. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, which statistically over 50% of you are, leave a goddamn five-star review. Um, And that's it, dude. Thanks so much again for being a part of the forum. You guys are amazing. And that's really the most important part of this podcast. I said I, I said this to someone. If I get enough of those, I might just do a separate episode of that so that we can get all the predictions and recap and other bullshit out of the way and just do a whole episode of, of the forum. That would be amazing. Dude, if, if I get enough voice questions throughout the week, we'll do a bonus episode. How about that? So send those in if you have anything that's on your mind. Um, get your voice heard. Um, and... Um, Yeah, good night and good fights.